You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. This study, just so you know, comes from uh, 50 core truths of the Christian faith. It's a series that uh, was written and put out um, uh, by Greg Allison, and uh, and he does a wonderful job. And so I encourage you, if you have a chance, uh, pick up that book. I put it in the link. Um, um, we will uh, be basically um, gaining our structure of this series from this book. And so it's a, it's a helpful tool. I pray you'll consider getting it for your library, give you an opportunity to learn and to grow and to understand doctrine a little better. So without delay, let's go ahead and jump in and let's ask a few questions. I'm not really looking for an answer, but I want you to consider the answer to yourself. What do you think election and reprobation mean? Now, um, you know, it's it's easy for me to define it because I have a definition. But when we talk about election and reprobation, it's, it's important we have some kind of understanding. And so I've defined it um, based upon, again, uh, Greg Allison's definition, because I thought he did a wonderful job. And thus, the definition of election is this, that election is God's purpose regarding the redemption of people, okay? And reprobation is God's purpose not to save certain people. Now, again, everybody has different views in regards to these two positions. Uh, Some um, will gain a better understanding as we work through it. So what are some of the key passages that we will uh, examine as we go through this section. Well, I'll list them. Acts chapter 13, um, verse 48 is is a great uh, beginning because the reality is, is, well, we see from the Word of God the idea of election. He says here in Acts 13, verse 48, When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. So you can see the the idea of election is the pre-selection, the the predetermined plan of Almighty God from before the foundations of the world to appoint certain people unto salvation. And so this verse would uh, really uh, clarify some of that um, by acknowledging the fact that they were appointed uh, to salvation, um, those to eternal life, and they believed. When we come to Act, I mean Romans chapter 9, and we look at that section between 14 and 24, we see 
that there is no injustice with God. And therefore, in the in the idea or the doctrine of election, I think it's very vitally important that we understand our ways are not God's ways. His ways are higher than our ways. There is no injustice with God. God is completely always just. And therefore, he can ask the question, what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. So the idea is that he wants, in verse 22, what if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath, to make his power known, endure with much patient vessels of wrath, which he prepared beforehand for his glory. So there's the idea of reprobation. Not only did God, before the foundations of the world, prepare vessels uh, for salvation, there would be, therefore, vessels prepared beforehand for the wrath of God. So each one of these passages really help point to the idea of election and reprobation. And they can all be looked at in your spare time. And I would encourage you to do that because they can be very helpful. I mean, you look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. We read um, that God, this is good and acceptable in sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. So there's the, the, the idea uh, that God wishes that none would perish but that all would come to repentance. We know the Bible points to the reality there's more going down than there's going up. There's more on the narrow or the broad road than there is the narrow road. And so as we work through this, I want us to consider some thoughts. First, about man and about sin. Because until we understand who we are, where we begin this journey of life, we can misunderstand the doctrine of election. So let's begin by looking at some thoughts. We've given you the key verses when it comes to the doctrine of election and the doctrine of reprobation. Well, the Bible says that prior to salvation, okay, that means before you are saved, before you are born again, before you become a child of God, that all people are dead spiritually. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, remind us of this truth. Um, in this state of death, you see the sinner is utterly unable to respond to any spiritual stimulus and therefore unable to love God, to obey Him, or even please him in any way. The scripture says the mind of every unbeliever is what? Hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For even, for if it is not even able to do so, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8. 
7 and 8. So it's important to know where we start in this journey of life because this journey of life, I want you to understand, describes humanity. All of humanity, every single one in the sound of my voice begin, like I said a few weeks ago, in the casket, dead in our trespasses and sins. Humanity is described in a state of total hopelessness. They are spiritually dead. Now, Augustine of Hippo, one of the greatest theologians of the early church, described the state of man in relation to the state of his will. Pre-fall, that's before the fall of Adam and Eve, man was able to sin and able not to sin. Post-fall, man is not able not to sin. When a man becomes regenerated, that means born again, we'll look at that in a few weeks, man is able to not sin. Doesn't mean he will be perfect, but he has the ability because of his new life, because he is spirit-filled, because he's no longer walking in the flesh, but in the spirit, he's able to not sin. And then in the glorified state, man will be unable to sin. So I think he did a really good job of explaining how throughout history, from beginning of time to the end of time, until we see Christ face to face, how we deal with this idea of total depravity. So let's begin by discussing the doctrine of election thoughts. Well, here's a position that many hold. Number one is, is your understanding of election conditional or unconditional? Okay? So unconditional election. I want you to consider that. There are four theories about unconditional election. Now, unconditional simply means there it's without condition meaning that God, before the foundations of the world, selected you and me into salvation and selected some others uh, unto not salvation, not based on anything or anything other than his sovereign purpose, his sovereign choice. That's unconditional. There were no conditions attached. It It was merely God doing his work. So four theories about unconditional election is that God is sovereign, And his election is sovereign. In eternity past, and from his grace in Christ, God chose certain persons to be saved. And in time, God grants saving grace and faith to the elect alone. The election proceeds and results in the mighty acts of God in salvation like regeneration and justification, which we'll discuss later. If you don't know those terms, that's okay. Regeneration is being made alive. Justification is being declared right. It's a legal term. So the debate over unconditional election is not whether or not God elects or predestines people to salvation. That is biblical, okay? 
the debate is whether he does that based on something or not. It, 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 it's, it's based upon what the basis for which he elects them. Is that election based upon the foreknowledge of those individuals uh, that will have faith in Christ, or is it based upon God's sovereign choice to save them? As the word unconditional election implies, this view believes that God's election of people to salvation is done without any conditions attached, either foreseen or otherwise, meaning that that the, un, the, 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 the Calvinist who believe in sovereign election, they don't believe that God looked down through the corridor times and saw who would choose and not choose. And that was how he selected. No, they believe that he chose based upon his sovereign will. God elects people to salvation by his own sovereign choice and not because of some future action they will perform or a condition they will meet. Those who come to Christ become his children by the will of God and not by their own. They were not God's children by nature or because of any human desires, but rather because God himself was the one who made them his children. And really, they'll, you know, if you turn over in your Bibles to John, again, I hope you, you know, I mean, I know many of you may be even driving, but nevertheless, if you are able, I, I would always encourage you to, to bring your Bible to getting in the Word because we want to be students of the Word of God. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to, to uh, um, John 1.13 because I think it's helpful uh, in this right here. But as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. Verse 13, who were born, listen carefully, not of blood, not of the will of flesh, not by the will of man, but of God. Okay? So here you find a passage of Scripture that's used to permeate the reality of sovereign election. Now, saving grace refers to a, a redeeming grace, a redeeming quality that makes a person or, or someone acceptable. But that's not the, really the biblical meaning of the word grace in the Bible. Grace in the Bible means unmerited divine assistance given humans for their regeneration or sanctification. It's unmerited favor. It's undeserved grace and mercy. Um, God's benevolence to the undeserving is what grace is. Biblically, saving grace is the grace of God that saves a person. So every one of us here this morning that have put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, that is a work of God's grace. 
in your life. So the typical complaint of those who are skeptical about the doctrine of election or even those who are opposed to it is that it seems to make God unfair. Okay? And that may indeed seem to be the case if you measure what's fair by fallen human judgment. Why doesn't God treat everyone the same? I mean, if he chose you for salvation, he chose me for salvation, why didn't he choose everybody for salvation? I mean, we read the scripture that said he wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. If he is almighty God and he is almighty God, then why didn't he just select everybody into salvation? Good question. He's God. Was I there when he made the stars? Was I there when he created life, when he breathed into the nostrils the breath of life into Adam and Eve? Was I there when he created the universe and every element and every aspect of it? Was I there when he cast the stars into the sky? Who am I to question God? See, God doesn't think the way we think. We are finite. God doesn't think the way we think or do the way to do things the way we would do them. And that's why he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord in Isaiah 55, 8. That's the reality. We worship a God that is amazing, that is stunning, that is phenomenal. So it's important to be reminded of that reality. So, he is wiser and more just than you and I could ever be. You know how many times we've made bad judgments on people? We thought, oh, this is my friend. I love them. You are amazing. You're such a good buddy. You are a fake. Right? Like, we didn't even know it until later. You see, God is... He knows the hearts of all mankind. He is not surprised by the, the, the secret lifestyles of people. He, he is not surprised by the reality of sin in people's lives that you and I can't see. So we have to trust that God, number one, His character is just and will always be just. So he is wiser than we are. We, he is not to be measured by any human standard. So if God decides he wants to select men and women unto salvation prior to the foundations of the world, which he did, the Lamb's Book of Life has already been written, therefore the names are already in it, That you, the question isn't about election. He has elected those unto salvation. The question is, is it conditional or unconditional? But remember the words of the Apostle Paul who said, oh, the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. He goes on to say, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. So the reality is, is God is above us. His ways are way above us. Furthermore, the question that we should ask when ponder the doctrine of election is... Why doesn't 
he save? Well, let me say this. The, the question should not be this. Why doesn't God save everyone? That seems a human legitimate question. The question is this. Why does God save anyone at all? He's, he is certainly not obligated to show mercy to any one of us. You know, somebody said the other day, uh, well, I, you hear this all the time in your life, and maybe something happens, and somebody says, you deserved it. Good for you. You deserved it. No, what we deserve, my friends, is the eternal wrath and justice of God because every single one of us equally have broken the law of God. And therefore, we should, before a righteous and holy judge, be declared guilty. That's what makes the gospel so beautiful. So we shouldn't ask the question, why doesn't God save everybody? What we should be asking is how in the world does a righteous judge save anybody if we're all guilty? That's what makes grace so gracious. So when considering what's fair in the matter of election, all human presuppositions and standards, listen, they must be set to the side. Instead, the nature of God, His goodness, His character, His righteousness, His divine justice must be focused. Specifically, what is divine justice? Well, simply stated, it's an essential attribute of God whereby He infinitely and perfectly implements justice, does what he wants. William Perkins said, we must not think of God doing a thing because it's good or right, but rather is the, is the thing good and right because God will it and work it. Because God does it, it's right. Because God wills it, it's just. Why? Because that's the character of God. God defines justice. That's why um, I don't think we need a social gospel. Um, we don't need, you know, social justice. Justice needs no prefix. Justice is justice. Either it's just or it's unjust, whether it's right or whether it's wrong. God defines justice, and we ought to understand his character. He himself, by nature, is just and righteous, and whatever he does reflects his very nature. So whatever he does is right. Now, the question is, can we handle that? Can we trust that he is just, that he is right, that he is holy? So his own free will and nothing else is what determines justice. For whatever he wills is just, and that is just because he wills it, not vice versa. There is no higher standard of righteousness than God himself. So you can bank on it that whoever's name is in the Lamb's book of life, God did it justly. 
and righteously and perfectly because he's righteous and he's perfect and he's just. So, so there's the idea of unconditional election, but then you have conditional election. Three theories about conditional election. The theory first is that God desires all men to be saved. Hmm. God desires all men to be saved, and he only selected a certain few. That's interesting. Which it could be the reality is he wished all to be saved, and he only selected a certain few. Although people are, secondly, although people are hopelessly sinful, the folks who hold to conditional election believe in what's called prevenient grace, which restores the ability to repent of sin and believe the gospel. So God's perfect foreknowledge, God foresees, thirdly, those who will embrace faith in Christ for salvation and continue in it and elected them accordingly. So conditional election is a belief that God elects people for salvation based on his foreknowledge of who will put their faith in Christ. Conditional election says that an all-knowing God looks down through the corridor of time looks into the future and decides to elect people based on their future decision they will make to come to faith in Christ. The problem is this, and I'm just, I want to set the stage from the beginning. God is all knowing. So you have to understand God never looked down through the corridor of time and discovered who would come to faith. He is all knowing. Therefore he already, already knows because he's all knowing. So God never looked down through anywhere. He just knew. So nevertheless, God knows who will put their faith in Christ. And therefore, it's considered conditional election because it's based on the condition of man doing something of his own free will, and that is accepting Christ by faith. According to conditional election, those who know God's... Uh, will come to faith in Christ are elected by God. And those who God knows will not accept Christ are not elected. So there is this condition by which God selected unto salvation certain person. Now, the problem is that we're dealing with uh, this total depravity of man. And man is unable in their own strength and own ability to, um, to do good apart from God's grace in his life. So those who believe in conditional election came up with what's called prevenient grace. Now, prevenient grace is a phrase used to describe the grace given by God that precedes the act of a sinner exercising saving faith in Jesus Christ. The term prevenient grace comes from the Latin word that meant to come before, to anticipate. So by definition, every theological system that affirms the necessity of God's grace prior to a sinner's conversion teaches a type of prevenient grace. Now, the, the Reformed doctrine of irresistible grace is a type of pre pre prevenient grace. 
as is common grace. So God has to do something to humanity before they can come to Christ. So the Arminian doctrine of prevenient grace in John 12, 32, Jesus said that when he is lifted up from the earth, he will draw all men to himself. This is a verse that is frequently used to object to the reform position of irresistible grace found in Jesus' words in John 6, 44, since John 12, 32 states that all men are drawn and, 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 and such as John 6, 44 cannot be saying that all men who are drawn will be raised up on the last day. The Calvinists consider this to be a misunderstanding of how all is being used in John 12, 32. That is, when Jesus says he will draw all men to himself, he is using all in the sense of not just Jews, but Gentiles too. And, and, and contextually, that, that's very reasonable to consider. Is he talking about all of humanity, or is he all referring to both Jew and Gentile? Seems to be the thrust of the idea of the context of John's gospel. So the same principle um, applies to John 16, 8, when Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit coming to convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment after his ascension. The world refers to what? All the, the, the globe? No. Uh, every single person, possibly, more likely contextually, refers to the Jews and Gentiles. Or, as uh, the creatures and elders sing in Revelation 5.9, men from every tribe and language and people and nation. So the same principle leads to similar interpretations of other passages, such as Romans 11.32, Titus 2.11. So you have... Irresistible, I mean, you have uh, unconditional election and you have conditional election. When it comes to the doctrine of reprobation, this is the decision that God, before the foundation of the world, selected some for heaven and some for hell. Now, we have to decide for ourselves where we're going to stand on this. You have the Calvinistic view, which holds to more of a unconditional election, and you have what is called the Arminian view, which is conditional election. And where you end up and where you stand, you'll have to decide what you believe and how God worked through the scriptures. I, the, the, the more I study, the more I lean towards unconditional election. Um, but I don't want to go so far as to remove the responsibility of man. Because I do know that in the beginning, of the, in the Garden of Eden, God gave man free will. Now, that free will was tainted with sin, and therefore you could argue that when sin entered into the world, things changed, and the free will they had in the Garden they no longer had because they no longer, like we said earlier, uh, if you remember, uh, pre-fall, man was able to sin and able to not sin. They had, could do both. 
And then after they fail, the the the, the ability to 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 uh, to not sin was no longer available. They, they they had to sin. They were able not not to sin. Um, so the reality is, is we have to just land where we are, and it could be a process for you where you kind of grow and you begin to study it, and you may be here the first time, you're like, dude, Calvinism, Arminianism, what are you talking about? And so um, the reality is this. We can trust God's judgment. If God has, and he already has, we know he selected the, every name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life already. And so God has indeed predestined unto salvation. But nevertheless, we have to determine for ourselves how. And so I hope that this will whet your appetite, so to speak, cause a little conflict in your spirit so that you will have to decide for yourself where you stand. I consider myself a, uh, a Calvinian. Uh, I hold a middle view, so to speak. I'm not a five-point Calvinist, but I'm definitely not an Arminian because I don't believe you can lose your salvation. So I, I hold to more of a uh, Calvinistic standpoint. But, uh, yeah, uh, I hope that this is a help to you, and at least it challenges you, encourages you to um, – come acquainted with the two views, and really for yourself begin to sharpen uh, your understanding of how God chose for men and women unto salvation. So with that said, I want us to close there and open the chat, but we want to thank you for being here. Um, heavy topic, very controversial topic, but one we need to be aware of. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast and be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org and come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.